0: I'm Chris Chang and Phillips.
1: And I'm Sarah C. Louise.
0: Okay. Hey, this looks like magazine spreads.
2: Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm supposed to be describing it. Yeah, you know, the odd logo. This one I'm also including in my current portfolio. Uh, It's a Vandana Shiva uh, poster that I made for the University of Winnipeg. It's a hand-drawn illustration. It is. I like to do hand-drawn stuff whenever I can.
0: As you might know, the All That Matters logo was designed by one of our reporters, Jonathan Dick. He's just about to graduate from a design program here in Edmonton, and he offered to give me a glimpse into one of these tortured processes that goes on behind the scenes in a lot of artists' lives before you ever see their work. We sat down on the couch in his living room, and he flipped through a big stack of drawings and papers and a couple slim little books that he'd printed out.
2: Uh, My name's Jonathan Dick, and I'm at the end of a design studies program at McEwen University. And at the end of the program, uh, you're expected to have a portfolio printed that's going to be sort of your ticket uh, to a job. Yeah. (laughs) And in your case, it's sample logos, sample posters. Yeah, I mean, I do print design, so a lot of it... A lot of it's kind of um, conference um, identity, packaging, branding. This looks like it's mm, a little shorter than I expected. Shorter? Yeah. It's actually longer than the one I'm preparing right now. Yeah. Uh, We're advised in our program to provide something like 8 to 12 pieces uh, in the portfolio. And the caution is always that you should include only your best work, so if you have ten pieces and two of them you're like, eh, I don't know. Just go with eight. Even like down to six or seven, if necessary, you just don't want any signs of weakness, which I mean clearly creates a lot of stress.
0: Making a portfolio is this ritual that artists everywhere have to go through, but we don't usually get to see any of the process. We just see the product, what ends up going into the final website or in the book. Behind the scenes, though, a thousand decisions are going on to craft what you see as the polished, finished product.
1: Well, each week on All That Matters, we tell stories about arts and culture around Alberta, and we try to take small bites out of a big question. So today we're asking, what's behind the curtain? How does stuff come to look the way it does when we finally encounter it? We'll look at how media personalities and political candidates end up looking the way they do in public, and what happens when the design process ends up making something that the audiences aren't entirely in love with.
0: (laughs) But first, let's get back to John and all the flop sweats that go into picking what to put into your portfolio. I like this one. Was this in an actual magazine? No. <laughs> okay, tell me what this but,
2: is. <laughs> I mean, that's that's good. That's a good thing to point out. I'm glad it provoked that reaction. Uh this is uh, an illustration for uh it had to be we had to find our own article and I found this uh review from the New Yorker of a film called Timbuktu which is a pretty well-received movie um about sort of the radicalization of young men in East Africa and the jihadist takeover of Timbuktu in 2012. Um, and what the movie does and why I thought it was worth choosing the article is, um, is that it humanizes the jihadists. So what did you come up with? Uh, I came up with uh, basically three of the um, characters in the film sort of standing in a procession. Um, each with kind of a different colored scarf Um, and I wanted to show sort of um, I wanted the focus to be on their eyes because I feel like that's the (laughs) Uh, visually that's a way of humanizing people is like eye to eye contact um, seeing the faces and um, I wanted to show them in a procession because it kind of suggested that I don't know, things were moving and they were sort of um, not in control or
3: yeah.
2: Oh, whoa. Yeah, it totally does create that
0: effect. I hadn't even thought of that. Why did you pick it? Uh, why did I pick this illustration to include in this portfolio?
2: Uh, I guess because it was a challenge. Like I, we were given the option of choosing an article about terrorism or nutrition or an article about corporations. And I was like, well, I see a lot of kind of bad articles and bad art about terrorism in general because it's such a complex issue and it's so uh, highly politicized that I wanted to, I don't know, I'm, I'm drawn to challenges, I guess. And I wanted to see if I could handle something really sensitive uh, with some grace and with some, I don't know, some complexity. So that's what I tried to do. And I feel like I sort of pulled it off. So,
0: something that I was curious about is can you share with listeners why you are so stressed about this book? Because I think that this, I haven't known you for a super long time, but this is definitely the most stressed that I've seen you is preparing this book.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to put on a pretty good face when I'm around other people, but um, as much as the book, the content of the book is uh, is causing me stress. What's actually causing me a lot of stress right now is how this book is going to get made and printed. Um, I'm more worried about the quality of the printing and how things are going to look on the page because a lot can change when you get something printed. It can look great on your screen, and as soon as you print it, it looks really muddy. Like, we're looking at a picture of a mug that I did for Elm Cafe, and it's a. am happy with the illustration. It's fine. The mug itself... I think turned out pretty well, but my photos of it uh, looked great on the computer. And when I printed them, they're super dark and muddy. And so (laughs) how can I ensure, you know, I'm I'm printing off so many copies of this thing just to make sure that the photos are exactly the way I want them. And then once I'm happy with what I'm printing out, I have to hope that the printer that I choose, like a commercial printer is going to do the right thing. (laughs) And the other terrifying thing is that, this book is a one-off so there's only gonna be one copy of it um it's not cost effective when you're talking to commercial printers to get this done um i've been getting quotes for like 200 dollars which when you think about like it's it's 20 pages and a 200 20 page book of your own stuff that you don't even you might not even use that many times seems like a huge investment that might not really be worth it okay uh, what are the stakes uh,
0: for like if this book turns out poorly um, what what environment are you going into (laughs) where the like and and how is that going to affect the interactions
2: that you have with with people Uh, the stakes are pretty high uh, kind of off the hop because we have a portfolio show that. Yeah, it's sort of the, like, I want to call it the wind-up, but no, this isn't, like, Little League Baseball. Um, This is an event where all these members of the industry and the public are invited to come and take a look at your stuff. And I have to stand behind a table for four hours and watch people flip through my book. So I don't want a piece of crap uh, sitting on the table, and I don't want to feel, like, awkward and uncomfortable as someone's looking at my stuff um because it's going to be a pretty tense situation anyway uh and yeah so if if it's a disappointment then that's that's my penalty i got to stand through and watch people look at it and watch their faces like turn from mild amusement to disgust <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's not going to happen your your book is beautiful so I think if I were to summarize for a listener what I've learned looking at your book is that partly design is a lot of like aesthetic decisions and balancing your needs and other people's needs but also design is a lot of agony
2: (laughs) yeah fun agony like I'm still doing it for a reason if it was total agony I think I'd find something else to do but now that like once you start thinking about design it's really hard to stop it's very addictive I think you know this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to our reporter Jonathan Dick for letting me have a look at his rough drafts.
1: You're listening to All That Matters from CGSR 88.5 in Edmonton. Each week we try to take small bites out of a big question. This week, how does stuff come to look the way it does? So many of our public spaces have been specifically designed just for us hours of time and many dollars are spent making the space look and feel just right but no matter how carefully thought out these projects are once they're complete they belong to the public they were created for
0: Edmonton's Churchill Square is one public space that's been redesigned pretty recently Uh, our reporter Lisa Pruden spent some time in Churchill Square to find out how people who use the space feel about it
4: Listeners, I'm Lisa Pruden. Today I'm going to talk about our Churchill Square in downtown Edmonton. Back in 2002, Churchill Square was the subject of hot debate when it came to how we would redesign the space. Many people felt that they were at risk of losing a beautiful green space, while others felt that it was important to redevelop the space to be more conducive to festivals and other large public gatherings. Well, the first plan that was presented for the square makeover was met with much disappointment. It was described as sterile and uninviting. As mentioned in a 2012 Edmonton Journal article, one person even described it as a temple where Aztecs would perform human sacrifices. So the designers of the square rethought the space and presented a new design, This is what we now have as our Churchill Square. Now that we are over 10 years past the original debate about what this space ought to look like and do, I went down to the square to find out what people think about the space and how it works. So, uh, how do you think it functions as a public space?
5: I think it functions well overall. Um, You know, it can, from a design perspective, you know, the concrete aspect of it is a bit uh, daunting. To be honest, like it doesn't feel like uh, you know a, a more inviting environment, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, the fountain is a nice touch. Uh, I think it could do with a little bit more green type of infrastructure to make it a little bit more warm and welcoming. From that perspective, um, it's 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 good that it's open. Uh, there's lots of sunlight during the day. You know, obviously you look at these guys playing ping pong and chess and stuff, so it brings people down, which is great. Um, I think from a design perspective though, uh, given the how big and how wide it is, it it has a lot of potential for a redesign to make it a little bit more um, welcoming and functional.
3: Um, I think for downtown it's a very successful public space. I think it was um, as hard as it was to say goodbye to the green grass and everything. I think it makes it more accessible. Um, during all weather and uh, yeah I I like it very much. There's lots of places to sit and watch things happen. Uh, It's
6: okay. Uh, There are a lot of deficiencies for like putting on events in the square Uh, but they're slowly addressing them But, uh, but primarily it works out okay for events. It's a lot more functional than what it used to be although it could use a lot more drainage and power.
7: I think it's better now because they used to have lawn all over and then they every year would have to go to the expense of replacing the sod. So now that it's all concrete I think it's a much better idea and
4: uh, it's a nice place to sit. They need more benches and stuff though because it's limited. Public art is often a key feature of public spaces. And I see you are sat here beside the very famous Lunchbox Joe. Is he keeping you good company? I was wondering if he had anything in his thermos for me. It's one open. <laughs> yes, he's keeping me company. How important is it for you to have um, public art in spaces like this?
5: Oh, it's it's super important. It's paramount. I think it just adds to the uh, you know to the cultural element of the city and the downtown.
3: Um, public art its very important. I think the um, art museum over there is a gorgeous piece of architecture to look at and I think um, you have to accept all aspects of, of society and art is definitely something that should be here. Uh, I'm a
6: huge proponent of large public art in large places. Uh, the uh, this park gets along pretty well with the addition of the three banana space, which does have a really nice lines about it, as well as the art gallery and the and the city building around. But I'm always way I'm always in favor of more public art wherever possible, which is why the works is one of my favorite festivals down here. It's uh, only on public art that it should be. Really nice and great public art. There's so much uh, great uh, uh, great ideas out there for doing public art on a large scale to add a lot of quality of life to every city. So when it can be put into a high pedestrian traffic kind of spot, they should go for it as much as possible.
3: I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd like to see more local art down here spaces, some photographer, artist, all of that stuff. I think local art here is amazing. And I I think it would be nice to see some, even some of the the stones painted on the ground would be kind of cool.
4: But perhaps what's more important than the design of a space, the lines and shapes, are the people that come to make this space special. Anyone who passes by the square on their lunch break knows the man with the silver jacket and electric guitar who plays just at the edge of the square.
6: My name is Breezy Brian Gregg, and uh, I've been coming here uh, to the southwest corner of Churchill Square for about six years, I think, uh, at noon hours, whenever the weather permits, uh, to to busk, you know, and play music for the people.
4: design. We can say for certain that Churchill Square has become a place where a diversity of people gather to escape their offices or to be part of a festival. We come to discover new food, music, or art, to count down to New Year's, to play ping-pong and wait in the pool. The square has become a popular gathering place, at least in the summer.
6: Maybe tune it down a bit. Talk about a kiss. Yeah.
0: Thanks to everyone who shared their thoughts. And a special thanks to Breezy Brian Gregg for sharing his music. To hear more of Brian's tunes, check out briangregg.com. That's Greg with two Gs, so briangregg.com.
1: You're listening to All That Matters. I'm Sarah C. Louise.
0: And I'm Chris Chang Phillips.
1: This week, we're going behind the scenes of all the designs around us. Next up, we see them on TV all the time, these women with their perfect hair, perfect makeup, and a killer wardrobe. <laughs> but how much work goes into that look? What's going on behind the scenes? And who is dictating how they should look?
0: To try and answer those questions, our reporter Nikki Weir tracked down an aspiring member of parliament who's about to be thrust into the spotlight.
7: public eye or in front of a camera, there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way. Males, to some extent, but for some reason, females have it a little bit worse. They have to wear the right clothing, not too modest, or they'll get emails saying they look like a grandma and have no fashion sense, but not too revealing either, or they'll have people emailing in saying they look inappropriate or worse, propositioning them. Kind of like a Goldilocks situation. They have to wear their makeup a certain way, their hair... I have a lot of female friends who are on-camera journalists. Every few months, they sit down with a stylist who critiques their wardrobe, their appearance, and makes recommendations for the future. Just a couple of weeks ago, a meteorologist with Global News and BC used airtime to discuss a recent letter she got from a viewer. I received a letter yesterday. And it kicked off
1: a a bit of a conversation, which was started actually a while ago when I started getting pregnant. And I said, please be nice to me about my clothing. Right, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to read the letter? Let's leave Let's. I'll I'll leave out some of of the words. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nowhere on North America TV have we seen a weather reader so gross as you. (laughs) Really? Oh, by the way, they didn't put their name on it or return address. Yeah, they never did. Your front end looks like the Hindenburg, and your rear end looks like a brick fill-in-the-blank house. (laughs) Really?
7: We now turn off global. Her story has been shared around the world. It's been viewed over 1.6 million times on YouTube, picked up by sites like BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Daily Mail. She's not alone. If you're in the public eye in any way, you're susceptible to these kinds of comments you're pretty much volunteering yourself up to the haters and the trolls and it's a tough world to be part of a world that my friend ray cash may soon know
3: my name is ray cash walters r-e-a-k-a-s-h
7: you know how to spell it ray cash isn't exactly in front of the camera like my media friends but she does a lot of speaking events and she does on-camera interviews for media organizations She's on the path to becoming a politician. She's seeking federal nomination for the new Democratic Party in Edmonton Centre. Crazy, because she's 21.
3: I called my mom first, and she was like, "Oh my goodness, blah blah blah." So excited, right? And then my my dad was. He was really thinking about it. And then he was like, "I bet you're the only candidate that has to ask your parents before you can run." <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably. True. Yeah, yeah. Mom, Dad. Twenty-one. Yeah, 20.
7: She grew up in central Alberta, moved to Edmonton to go to school, and when she did, she started listening to CBC, and she got really into politics. It wasn't long before she was volunteering for municipal campaigns, made her way into the Alberta NDP leader
3: Rachel Notley's office, and was approached out of the blue. I was working one day, and someone came in from... He was his names Tyson he's been one of the biggest supports throughout this whole process he came in from BC and um, I thought he was just gonna be asking me I thought he was just gonna be asking me you know can you help me identify people within Edmonton that would be great for running and he ended up asking me if I would want to run and I was really surprised but I was really really excited. I've known Ray Cash for two years, over two years, I guess.
7: When, when we met in grammar class, I doubt you were like, mm, in two years from now, I'm gonna be running for federal
3: politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I mean, it was always, it was always my little secret my little secret dream that I never really said out loud. I would just say it to some people that, you know, actually I didn't really say it to that many people. I probably said it to my mom and like my best friend that I think, you know, maybe one day I'll I'll run for office. Um, But the process has been, I've had to take my ego out of everything. So when people say, you should probably do this, I have to take a step back and say, okay, Maybe I don't feel like doing that right now but will it benefit me? How will it benefit me? That's not the only thing Ray Cash has had to change. When I first met
7: her, she had dread type hair all the way down to her waist. She often wore it in this massive bun on the top of her head. She wore harem pants, belly shirts, every color and pattern in the sun. When I met up with Ray Cash for this interview, she was wearing a beautiful brown turtleneck sweater dress and had the
3: cutest straw hat perched on her beautiful curly hair. And that is definitely an an aspect of my personality. Um, But when I decided that I was going to run, I told my mom and she was like, let's go shopping for you. Let's let's uh, let's shine you up a little bit type thing. And we went on a shopping trip and she and it's fun because she was never forcing me. No one has ever really told me that you have to dress this way, you have to look like this. But she was very encouraging in terms of, I want you to have your style and your expression. Um, At the same time, it's important for you, for people to feel like they can come up to you and talk to you about whatever they're feeling and thinking and they don't feel like you're gonna tell them this or that thing, you know? Um, Sometimes you look at someone and you say, that's a hippie, you know? I didn't necessarily want to be branded as any one of those things. So I think compared to um, someone else. I mean, this is a conversation that has happened a lot, especially in broadcasting, when women are looked at and they're criticized for their, you know, they're wearing a suit when they should be wearing a flower dress, or they're wearing a flower dress when they should be wearing um, a pants suit or something like that. You know, and like, why aren't they wearing colors? Why do it look like so rude? Um, I think. I think that people are always going to talk about the way that we look, um, partially because I look different. And so they want to compare it to what they're used to seeing. Um, Personally, personally I think it's important, it's important for us to try to not get caught up in the way somebody looks and listen to the things that they're saying. We are a very visual society, but we do have to be cognizant of how those things interact appearance versus substance. Do you miss that part of yourself?
7: You know, that version of yourself that did wear harem pants and had long dreads and was like wearing all the colorful mismatched clothing? Yeah.
3: Um, I wear it at home. <laughs> when I got home. Like it disappeared. It's just... No, yeah. I just. Yeah, again, it's just wanting to be approachable. I think, it. I don't think about it. It doesn't necessarily affect me that much because, you know, I, I love this sweater. It's a good <laughs> You know, it's a little bit more professional, but I it, I still feel like I'm ex- I get to express myself through my clothing. I think people have always found me fairly approachable, but when my hair was longer, people would... Um, I know black woman everywhere can relate to this, but people would put stick their hands in my hair and talk about my hair, whatever, and, and that would be the topic of conversation rather than, um, hey, look, I'm running for office type thing. So I think it lowers the distraction, and I think people are more able to um, focus on why I'm running, what NDP stands for, my values. The woman
7: around us, the role models, the woman we see on television, we see at public speaking events, they've been designed. They've been critiqued, criticized to look more appealing, or in Ray Cash's case, to be more approachable. Ray Cash is still the same passionate, wildly ambitious girl I've grown to know and love. She just looks different, not in a bad way. In
3: fact, she could have walked straight out of a magazine, but different nonetheless. I think anyone who's in the public eye, every single decision that you make about your period, about your appearance, um, has to be a very careful, careful and thought-out decision. Especially for women, we we don't make up um, a high percentage of people who are in positions of power. So as long as we keep the conversation going, um, if someone compliments me on my pantsuit, I'm going to be like, thanks, <laughs> right? Um, so it's it's not a bad thing. I think we just have to like strike some sort of balance.
0: Thanks to Ray Cash Walters for taking time out of her very, very busy campaigning schedule to talk to us. And remember to vote in the provincial election on May 5th. You can tune in next week for our All That Matters Provincial Election Special.
1: Chris, when you wake, in the, wake up in the morning, do you consider the public eye when you put on your clothes or colors or things <laughs> like that?
0: I do, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think about how, um, I will, who I'll be meeting that day and, and what they might take away from that. And actually, since I've been doing more journalism as like a daily practice part of my life, I wear more inconspicuous things. How about you?
1: Mm. Well, I love to play with the way that I look, cutting my own hair and wearing different colors with different styles and things like that. So I would really have a rough time in Rakesh's position. The part where she's talking about people running their fingers through her hair as she's trying to discuss politics with them is just horrifying. (laughs) I remember when I shaved my head, it was like very similar. People would just instantly reach for my head and they wouldn't ask me for permission before touching my head. It was really bizarre. Mm
0: -hmm. I always wonder about this though, you know, when Danielle Smith crossed the floor to the PCs, Mm -hmm. she started wearing blue like the next day. Mm -hmm. And I, I just... Yeah, I was so curious about what are the conversations that go on behind the scenes. It's it, interesting to hear.
1: Yeah. Subtle messages.
0: Yeah. Well, that does it for this week on All That Matters. Thanks to this week's contributors, Lisa Pruden and Nikki Weird.
1: All That Matters is a production of CJSR, 88.5 in Edmonton. Our theme music is by Takashi Teru. Additional music by ARCA.
0: If you have comments or questions about the show, send us an email. We're at allthatmatters@cjsr.com. We have tons of shows up on our website now, allthatmatterscjsr.wordpress.com. That's allthatmatterscjsr.wordpress.com. Lovely to see a new comment on there about our episode deal with it the other day and a new like while we were on air today.
1: Hurrah!
0: Uh You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. Really, we'd love to hear from you. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips.
1: And I'm Sarah C. Louise. Thanks for listening.